really what I wanted to do? Well, in the midst of that question, suddenly God shows up. So we come to our reading for this week. Genesis chapter 13, beginning in verse 14. Then the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward, for all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. And so Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Marm, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you that in our times of doubt and questioning and fear that you speak to your people. And so, Lord, we pray for ears to hear, eyes to see, and minds that you would fill with the knowledge of the love of Jesus Christ. Lord, that we might be formed more in his image and likeness to live for your glory in all things, we pray. Amen. So have you ever wondered how God feels about your obedience? About your choice to follow him by faith? Each week when I'm preparing these messages, one of the things that I ask myself in order to better understand the uh, the scriptures is what would it have been like to read these words, to hear these stories for the very first time? Not here in Wake Forest in 2022, but some 3,000 years ago when Moses was originally writing these words, recording the history for the people of Israel as they were wandering in the wilderness, preparing to take the promised land. So think about it. Think about where they were at that time. They had just left a life of captivity in Egypt. They were wandering in the wilderness for what would be 40 long years. And they had seen in this the cost of disobedience. These years of wandering in the, in the wilderness were, were proof of that, that there's a cost to disobedience. But what they hadn't seen at this point were the benefits of obedience and faith. What they hadn't seen is how God responds to faith, the kind of faith that they would need to boldly cross the Red Sea and to take the Canaanite lands. So what can we expect from God when we follow him by faith? Maybe you've asked that kind of question yourself. Do we just obey because we want to avoid his wrath and his punishment? Or is there something more? Is there a positive reason to obey God's revealed will? When God calls us to sacrifice, to risk in the way of obedience, how does God respond? Well, we find the answer to this question in this passage this morning. What we we see from, from God's words to Abram is that God delights in obedience. He delights when we place our faith 
and our trust in him. We see that God responds to our faith, to our obedience, with the reward of his presence, with the renewal of his promises, and with the repetition of his purposes. So we see God's delight in three ways. We see God's delight in obedience because God responds with a reward of his presence, with renewal of his promises, and with a repetition of his purposes. And so the first thing I want us to see this morning is how God responds to Abram's act of faith with reward. Now, reward might seem like a strange thing, but let me remind you of of Hebrews 11. We've talked about this a couple of times throughout our study of, of the life of Abram. This hall of faith that gives testimony to the great examples of faith in the Old Testament. The longest entry in that list is given to the life of Abraham. But before we're introduced to Abraham, we're introduced to Enoch. Now, Enoch had had a very short reference in Genesis 6. We just hear that he had walked with God and then was no more. Hebrews 11 adds to our knowledge of of who Enoch was. Hebrews 11 says that Enoch pleased the Lord and did not taste taste death, but was immediately taken into heaven. Enoch pleased God and so did not taste death. The writer of Hebrews then immediately expands on what it meant for Enoch to please God in verse 6 of Hebrews 11. That without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So to please God, We need to have faith, and that faith means drawing near to God, believing that he exists, and that he rewards those who would seek him. So an essential element of biblical faith is reward. Not only believing that God exists, but that he rewards those who seek him. The true God, the God of the Bible, is a God who rewards obedience and faith. Now, on one hand, that's a way of saying that God is, in fact, good. That God is not impersonal. He's not indifferent or unseeing. Rather, by saying that God is a rewarder, that means that God is, in fact, personal. That he sees, he knows, he delights in good. It's saying that God is, in fact, active in the world, and his active goodness is seen in how he responds to faithful obedience. God rewards those who seek him. So, let's tie this back to our story. We studied last week, earlier in chapter 13, that Abram has shown faith, his trust in God's promises. And so, following this principle from Hebrews... If Abram has shown faith, it would make sense to then expect some kind of reward. But what would Abram want? He's already rich at the hands of Pharaoh. He already has the promises of God from chapter 12. He has the the promises that he would be a great nation, a great name would be given to him, that he would be a source of blessing to the nations. So what else could God give him? What kind of reward would God give? Well, the extraordinary, unexpected, and easy-to-miss answer is in verse 14. 
the Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him. Did you notice that? The Lord comes to Abram in his place of solitude. When Abram felt alone, the Lord God is there and he speaks. You see, the reward God gives is himself. God reveals himself as near, as attentive, as careful and caring. Because hasn't that been our fear from the beginning? That God is indifferent and cold? That he's unimpressed or inattentive? That's one of the main issues that I think many of us have with the image of God as our Father, is that for many of us, our earthly fathers were poor examples of the love of God. For far too many of us, our earthly fathers were aloof, absorbed in their work or in their hobbies. Too often, fathers miss the successes of their children, and they fail to celebrate them. For many of us, the words we remember from our fathers are not affirmation and love, but words of anger, of shame, or rebuke, or maybe worst of all, silence. What I want you to see this morning is the reward that God gives is the antidote to these fears. God comes into this place of loneliness and vulnerability for Abram and he speaks words of life, of blessing. He comes and shows that he is aware of his people's struggles. He's aware of our doubts. He sees the risks that we take and those that we're too afraid to step into. Oh, brothers and sisters, what I want you to see this morning and and understand is to know the fellowship of Emmanuel, our God who is with us. As Paul prayed, that we would know how high, how wide, how deep, and how long is the mighty love of our great Savior. Because in Christ, we have seen that God is aware of our struggles, that he knows our pains, that he walked the very same roads that we walk, loneliness, scorn, hunger, fatigue, He knows the costs that come from faithfulness. He's seen that it would be easier to sin and to fall. And yet Jesus Christ remained perfectly obedient. Through his death, he secured our forgiveness. His resurrection showed the completeness of his work. And after his ascension, he is present with us by his spirit. Right here and right now. Now let me be clear in that. The relationship we have with God is not itself a reward for our obedience and faith. No, our standing before God is not based on our obedience. It's actually in spite of our sins. Our standing before God is based on Jesus' obedience, on his death to pay for our sins. And it's eternally secure in that work of justification we just talked about earlier in our service. However, It is also true that our lived experience of the closeness of God is affected by our obedience. Have you not seen that when you're walking in obedience, you enjoy a fellowship with the Spirit, a sweetness of God's presence, 
that's simply different than when you're complacent in sin? You see, Jesus himself said that we love him by keeping his commandments. And our sins, aren't they nothing more than a rebellion against the goodness of God, a choice to walk away from him? What I hope you see is that that alone should be a motivator for our obedience, to not break the bond of fellowship that we have with God. Because a real reward of sweet fellowship is is that 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 comes as we walk in faithful obedience with the Lord. Oh, remember the delight of our God in obedience as he rewards us with his holy presence. So that's the first thing. But we see more of God's delight in this passage. God also comes to Abram with a renewal of his promises. That's the second thing I want us to see is a renewal of God's promises. Did you notice in this passage that God is really repeating the promises that he had already made? Remember in Genesis 12, God promised Abram a land and he promised to give him offspring. So what's going on in this passage? Is God just reminding Abram of things that he may have forgotten? Well, I think there's a little more going on here. You see, God doesn't just repeat the parameters that were given in chapter 12. We actually see an expansion in this renewal. So let me remind you of what God said in Genesis 12, chapter 2, sorry, Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. God said, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram knew already from chapter 12 that he was getting land, that it would be a great nation, but the extent of this promise was, at this point, still very vague, undefined. You know, what does a great nation look like? How great are we talking about here? So here in chapter 13, we begin to get a clearer picture as God says, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward, for all the land that you see, I will give you and to your offspring forever. So Abram is told to lift his eyes and look around that everything he sees on all sides would be a part of the inheritance that God would give to him. So this is no longer a vague idea that only exists in words and in the imagination. No, this is now a physical place right here where Abram is standing that he could see with his eyes, that he could feel beneath his feet. It also echoes, in interesting ways, the way the author had talked earlier about how Lot, Lot had seen the land. If you remember from Earlier in, in chapter 13, uh, Ab- Lot had ha- had the opportunity to choose the land that he would inhabit. And verse 10 says this, that Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. And so earlier in chapter 13, verse 10, Lot pridefully lifted up his own eyes and chose according to his own evaluation, his own wisdom. We talked last week about how Lot was looking through the eyes of flesh while Abram was trusting God through the eyes of faith. 
And here we find the payoff for Abram's active faith. Now it is God who lifts Abram's eyes. It is God who reveals the land that would be given to Abram. All the agency is put on God as the initiator, the one who owns the land, who will distribute it according to his wisdom, and he will bless it and make it fruitful. This is how God will bless Abram for his faithfulness. And with much land comes the need for those who will keep it, who will manage and care for that land. And so Abram is not only offered an abundance of land, he's also offered an abundance of offspring as well. Verse 16 of chapter 13. God says to Abram, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also could be counted. So this too is a repetition of promises that God had already given in in chapter 12. In chapter 12, verse 7, God had said, to your offspring I will give this land. And so the Abram and Sarai, who so far had been childless, already know that they're going to have some kind of progeny. Yet here again, the promise is expanded. Just like the land is now as far as Abram can see, so now his children will be as many as he could count. What we see as the, pro- as the scriptures unfold is the continual expansion and fulfillment of these promises. What began as the land that Abram could see, which would become the, la- the home of Isaac and Jacob, and the promised land that Joshua would re-enter at the end of the ex- Exodus, this would become established as the kingdoms of Israel and of Judah. Then, In the New Testament, Jesus is revealed as the true eternal king. And we see that promise of land is transformed into a mission to bring the gospel message to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the extent of the Roman Empire. Today, the church continues with this royal proclamation of Jesus and his righteous and gracious reign to every corner of the world. And this beautiful expansion continues more and more each day. We hear this morning our living proof. And so this expanded promise to Abram of land from north to south and east and west is seen in the church today as Jesus Christ is the king of the whole world and his gospel message goes out to all nations. The government shall be upon his shoulder. Of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. With justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So if that is the promise of land, how are we to understand this promise of uncountable blessing? As many as the dust of the earth, How is that promise seen in Jesus' church today? Well, I think of two very literal and even concrete ways. When I think of this this promise of, of offspring, I think of our kids. I think of the next generation. I think of Johnny, Caleb, Ava, Liana, Stephen, Matthew, Delaney, Cameron, John Gray, and even little Tristan. And praise the Lord that there are so many others that I can't even name them all up here. Lord, may it increase. And if the, if the Lord was promising Abram this kind of an ongoing legacy of which we are a part, then don't miss this. 
We have a responsibility, brothers and sisters. We have a responsibility to disciple these young people. We need to be a church that supports parents and their youngest children, helping them to plant the seeds of God's love and his power and his plan in their earliest memories. We, as households, need to establish patterns of honoring the Lord in intentional and meaningful ways so that the culture of our homes is dedicated to his service. We need to prioritize that the identity of our young adults is not found in their self-expression or in achievements, but in the beauty of Jesus Christ revealed through them. And so, brothers and sisters, do you know these names? Do you know these kids? If you are not involved in the work of stewarding the blessings that God has given us, I'm not trying to guilt you, but but you're missing out. You're missing out on the amazing promises of God that are being fulfilled right in front of us. So I said I had two things. That's the first thing. The second thing, God says, your offspring will be like the dust of the earth. I think of literal dirt. I think about the hundreds and hundreds of new homes that are being built within a five square mile area of us. I think about how every time I drive around our town, I see another field that's being cleared and leveled for another new neighborhood or another new shopping center. When I read about the dust of the earth, I think about that churned up dirt. And I think about the number of people that will soon live and shop there. And what do I think about when I drive by those construction sites? This, where are those people going to go to church? And are we ready for that? Are we praying about that? Because here's the thing, we need to be ready to reject nostalgia and to embrace gospel expansion. Because if we are responsive to that, that does mean that our fellowship will look different. Because by the grace of God, there will prayerfully be new families to unfold, to see grow in grace, to see empowered for ministry, and to walk with through the joys and hardships of life in Christ. And so before you start ranting and raving about traffic or any of those other consequences, consider this. We actually live in a place where people want to live, and they want to come to. And that also means that we don't need to go anywhere to find witnessing opportunities. If you simply have your radar up and have some kind of a routine, you will regularly run into new people and new opportunities. The Lord has promised that his people will be as many as the dust of the earth. And we have the privilege to see that number increase here in our midst if we are obedient to his call by faith. So God delights in obedience, and we see it in how he responds to the obedience of Abraham, right now Abram. Uh, We have seen how God rewards with his holy presence. We have seen how God renews with his expanded promises. The last thing we will see this morning, how God responds to Abram's obedience, is with a repetition of his good purposes. 
verse 18 of chapter 13 says this. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. And so we find Abram at the end of this passage setting up his tents and building an altar. Now that's the proper response to the work of God. If you, if you were to get these kinds of wonderful promises spoken to you from God, hopefully your response would be worship. But I hope you also noticed that this verse closely mirrors the verses that we studied just a few weeks ago in chapter 12. If you remember from verse, verse 8 of chapter 12, it says this, that from there Abram moved to the hill country on the east of, the, of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and A to the east, and there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Pitching his tents and building an altar. Abram is back to the work that he had begun when God first called him pitching a tent, living in the land, and building altars to the Lord. After a misadventure down in Egypt, after giving up what looked like the prime lands to his nephew, God is inviting Abram back into the work that they had begun. You see, God still had further purposes for his servant. And so this repeat of of chapter 12 here in chapter 13 is Abram hearing from God, obeying God, and worshiping God, just like we talked about a few weeks ago. What we see is that this sequence is not a one-time thing, but a continual process for Abram. It's a repetition. And how do we know that our God delights in obedience? He asks us to do it again. He gives us more opportunities to follow him by faith to place ourselves in a situation where his glory and his faithfulness can be displayed before a watching world. And we've all seen this, right? That the things that bring us joy, that bring us delight, we want to repeat. So when I come home at the end of the day and I pick up my little two-year-old, turn him upside down and tickle him, and turn him right side back up, what does he say? Again, again. Think about this uh, another way. When you find a new restaurant in town and it takes you 10 minutes to decide what you want because everything that comes out of the kitchen just keeps looking better and better. And when you finally get your meal, it totally exceeds your expectation. What do you say to your spouse at the end of the evening? I want to go there again, right? Those who have been faithful with little, will be entrusted with much. He will give us greater and greater opportunities to trust him, to deny ourselves, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all because it brings him glory. It brings him delight. And so God responds to our faith, to our obedience, by renewing his purposes. In other words, he's inviting us to do it again. That's why our time together each week is so important. Every week we return to this room to worship together because every other moment we're surrounded by the world, by its temptations and values. We're forced to choose between faith and the flesh. And this is our time to be reminded of the riches of the glory of God 
As we confess our failures, we receive God's sure forgiveness. It's here that we are instructed by his word, not simply in in what to do, but in the greater glory of the one who has called us, of the power of his grace to renew us, and in that the privilege that we have of serving him in everything we do. And then we are fed. We are strengthened around his table all so we can go out and do it again. So maybe you're wondering, okay, what does that actually practically look like? If, if God delights in faith and obedience from his people, then how do I do that? Well, each of us does have unique callings, unique ways that God will use us for his glory, but let me give you some general thoughts. For some of us this morning, it might be a time step, making a priority to be in God's word. And we're all busy, and so that's why it would be a step of faith. You are trusting God that as you seek him in prayer and study each day, that he will give you the wisdom in how to order the remainder of your day to honor him in everything you do. It might be for some of us a step of obedience. It might be walking away from a pattern of sin and control that you know is contrary to the will of God. Maybe you use guilt and anger to intimidate others. Maybe you have secret sins. Maybe you've lived this way for so long that you don't know any other real way to live. Maybe the God-honoring step of faith and courage that God is calling you to is to stop trying to fix these things yourself and to ask for help from a brother and sister. That's a risky step of faith. Maybe for some of us it's a financial step. Might be making a priority of tithing and trusting God to provide you as you honor him as the Lord of your money. Maybe you're not identifying with any of those and uh, maybe the step of faith that God is calling you to is to serve. Maybe it's investing in the youth and children of our church like I mentioned earlier. Maybe it's mentoring a couple in their, in their own finances. Maybe it's building intentional relationships so that you have an opportunity to, serve, to share the hope and love of Christ with others. What I hope you'll find is that one act of faith is really just a preparation for another and another and another. Because Abram was meant not only to be a recipient of blessing, but a conduit of blessings for the whole world. And our God delights in faith and in obedience. And he has prepared for his people good works ahead of us for his glory. Brothers and sisters, what I want you to know is that God delights in obedience. He delights and values our trust in him as we follow him. And he will reward us with his presence because it's the sweetest gift that he could give. He will renew us with his Holy Spirit and with the promises of the gospel. And he will repeat his purposes for us as he sets up more and more situations where we continue to be a blessing to others and to testify that our hope and our trust is not in ourselves, but in Christ alone, in his mercy and his power for his glory. So let's pray to him together.